1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're looking at verses 1 through 13, but we've been focusing these last few weeks on 5 through 10. So I'm going to read 5 through 10, understanding the context of 1 through 13. All right, let's uh, read verses 5 through 10 and um, ask the Lord to help us. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell on one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Father, I ask that now you would open our eyes, our spiritual ears, that we would hear, that we know you, that we draw upon you, that, Lord, you would move from being a story to the living hope that you are. And, Father, the security of our salvation would be grasped this day. Father, the joy of our salvation would be leaned on. Father, the worthiness of our calling would be realized. And that, Father, we would draw to you and you alone. That, Father, we would lean full weight on you, our sufficiency. That, Father, we would rejoice at the freedom that you have given us. That, Father, we would draw our guidance from you, your wisdom, and as my precious bride saying, your word. And Father, may it no longer be we who are seen, but it is you seen in us. Father, we commit this unto you in Christ's precious name. Amen. I want to kind of bring this thing together. There's a lot of parts that have been given to you. And I want to kind of give this thing its peace in the body of this letter, the peace in the body of the gospel, the peace in the body of holy writ. I'm going to take you back a few years. Chapters 1 through 6, you see what the Apostle Paul was dealing with. You see the passion of the Apostle Paul. The heart cry of Paul is unity of the people. We are one. We are one. We are one as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. The divisions that show up, the schisms that show up, are from our flesh rising up and mastering us. Uh, We become addicted to personality cults. I am of this teacher, I am of this system, I am of this method. You see it in quote-unquote denominations. The next thing that he dealt with is the fact and the power of the gospel. And that you individually are the temple of the living God. And yet when we gather together collectively, the massive power of God, the massive wisdom of God is exalted to all men. And it was not until chapter 8 did he literally start beginning to deal with 
what the problem in the Corinthian church, what they perceived their problem was. And don't get me wrong, they had a problem. And the problem is listed there on your outline on Christian freedoms. What is the limit of this? He started it out on concerning the things offered to idols. Okay, that is, there's an implication there that says, Paul, we need to know about this because it's causing some problems. And Paul's laid it out clearly for you and I, as to the Corinthians, that there's two things that govern Christian freedom. One is how does it affect others? How does it affect a weaker brother in the saint, a weaker sister in, uh, in the faith? How, how does that play on them? But the second thing that he dealt with is what we're looking at now is that how does it affect you? I've made this statement. Don't let your freedom master you. The issue in your life is not your freedom. And it brings me to a letter that I received this week. And I want to read this to you. Because I think that this is at the crux of the church. Okay? And what I mean, I'm talking about the church here in America today. Okay? I believe this is the crux of it. Okay? This is from Dr. MacArthur. Um, and it was dated January the 19th of 05. And he starts it off with greetings and then this statement. Who is Jesus? Okay. Now that's interesting to, to know that I'm on his prayer list and I know that I'm on his. And he starts out his letter with that statement. But I'll read this letter to you. And I want you to listen to this. This is very crucial to you and I this day, especially dealing with a text like we're dealing with. Listen to what he says. If you had to answer that question in front of a worldwide television audience, how would you respond? Who is Jesus? That was a situation I was faced with last month on Larry King Live, program scheduled to air on CNN the day before Christmas. It's possible you saw it. The other panelists were Catholic priests, a New Age guru, a conservative Jewish talk show host, and an editor from Newsweek magazine. As you can imagine, the perspectives on Jesus were as diverse as the group. There's an understatement. I happen to see it. And you just sort of, whoa. <laughs> okay. But one point no one could dispute is that Jesus has become a pulp culture, a pop culture icon. First, there was the widely seen Peter Jennings documentary on the search for the true Jesus. ABC explains that in it, Jennings searches for clues to who Jesus was, what, he, what we can know about his childhood, his brief adult life, and the circumstances of his death. Mel Gibson's movie last year brought Jesus onto the big screen and into the public discourse in a way never before seen. Jesus is now on everything from t-shirts to dashboard bobbleheads. The biggest secular talks... Now, I've seen one of these dashboard bobbleheads, by the way. Okay, I was at a, uh, a men's Bible study up in Castle Pines, and a guy brought one in. And I'm sitting there going, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I could have been rich. <laughs> no, nah, 
The ministry would have... No, I'm just kidding. All right, anyway, but you, I have seen them. Anyway, anyway, the biggest secular talk station in L.A. now offers listeners The Jesus Show, a weekly call-in program that, according to the station, is hosted by Jesus Christ. Okay? Basically, you call in, and whatever you're dealing with, it's like Ann Landers. And the answer you will get will be based on what Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ would answer it. Okay? Uh, anyway. Most recently, in a more serious tone, Time, Newsweek, and Newsweek featured lengthy cover stories of Jesus and his birth. Religious scholars quoted in those kinds of articles prefer to clear up the confusion about Jesus by shining on him the light of modern science and modern thought. The problem with what is being said about Jesus by today's scholars and pundits and what I wanted to tell Larry King, his guests, and his audience is that for the most part, they all got it completely wrong. Okay? Sunday school class I was teaching this day, I asked them that. Who is Jesus? Okay? If someone come up to you right now and asked you, who is Jesus? Most of you, some of you would give a theological statement. Some of you would say, I don't have a clue. Uh, Or some of you would quote some text. Here, the fact is, much of the sophisticated scholar pursuit of the real Jesus these days is nothing more than a veiled effort to attack, dismiss, or discredit Scripture. The Jesus described in today's media isn't a result of an honest but an inept attempt at truth. It's a hatchet job designed to disfigure and destroy the Jesus of the Bible. Why, I want you to keep these questions, this, why do people who consistently attack the biblical record and the plain truth about Jesus and his word, why do we do that? Anybody want to take a shot at it? It's a one word answer. Here it is. In a word, it's about authority. Okay? People don't want to accept the Jesus of the Bible, his deity, virgin birth, sinless life, teaching, miracles, death, and resurrection, because if they do, they are forced to deal with the staggering implications. If Jesus is God, you can't live just any way you want. If Jesus is God, he is going to restrict and restrain you. You can't have your immorality, your materialism, your pride, and your hatred. No more apathy toward divine truth, authority, and eternal punishment. The best way to divest yourself of your spiritual obligations is to undermine what the Bible teaches about Christ. You wage an assault on the credibility of Scripture, cloaking the attack in pious scholarly robes instead of dealing with Jesus for who he is. You put him on trial. You turn him into a subject of academic research project. Instead of the Jesus, it is my Jesus and who he is to me. The elastic Jesus bends and stretches to your specifications, never making any hard demands on your life 
or your lifestyle. He goes on and deals with some other stuff here. Um, let me read you this one. This is probably a, a good picture. That, my friend, is the toxic atmosphere in which you and I are called to evangelize. As people you know, people whose faces you see day by day are being bombarded with the message that Jesus isn't who he says he is, you are called to defend and to proclaim truth. One of the things that I have learned in my life and through Holy Writ is you must gain the privilege to share Christ. That's what was happening to the church in Corinth. That is what the nation of Israel went through. That is what you right now are in the midst of. Did you know that? Do you have the right... Do you have the privilege to share truth? To share the truth of Scripture? Does your life in such a way reflect the manifest power of God that you now have that privilege? Or have you in the cloaking your freedom become useless to God. Now listen, I want to tell you something. I know that if you read the book of Hebrews, you will see that the bulk of the people who died in the wilderness were not saved. Okay, that's what the book of Hebrews teaches. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Paul's talking about. That is not the illustration that has been laid to you and I. The illustration is, have I gotten to such a place that I have married my lostness to God in such a way that it negates any proof of a living God? I say this day that the church in America this day has negated the power Of the living God. Because it's what. We are doing. It's what we are doing. And I literally have watched. The church. Do you know that there are headhunters now? You know what a headhunter corporation is? That finds employees. For pastors. Do you know it's a secular industry? And they go around. Looking for churches finding out what that church is looking for, and then finding the right men to fill that position. And listen, that's not the wackos. That's mainline evangelicalism. What's the difference between that and lost? Whose power is that? Whose glory is being manifested? And again, it goes back to the letter that I was sharing with you. John MacArthur, I remember him saying this one time, and it still kind of rumbles in my head. He said, in my 33 years of preaching ministry, I knew I was going to have to defend the gospel. I did not realize I was going to have to defend it from the church.
Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Ask yourself a question. How many Americans today would sit through a six-hour worship service, a six-hour Sunday morning worship service? And that's what they demand in Russia. They feel like you have cheated them if you don't give them that. Why? What did my wife sing this day? Did you know that the word of the Lord will only perfect the soul? That's all it's capable of doing. Can you tell me anything else that can perfect the soul? See what I mean? That's what the Apostle Paul is fighting for here. He's saying, you know, you can literally become useless. Why? Israel was written down. The history of Israel was written down in such a way that you can look at it and say, you know what? Don't do what Israel did. Don't fall into that. You have a freedom. Galatians chapter 5 says, you know what? You need to fight for that freedom. Don't compromise that freedom. Why? Because that freedom is the gospel. Do you understand that? The freedom is the gospel. And if I compromise it into rules and regulations, then what have I done? I have shared a lie with the hearer. How many people look at the gospel of Jesus Christ today and says it's against abortion? You know what the Bible says against abortion? Nothing. And yet, do you know that we can stop abortion just like that by getting the people saved? And there's only one way. Exposing them to the light of the gospel. We've looked at verses 1 through 4 and we've seen the assets of freedom. We've seen that there has been a freedom that is given that is absolutely impossible for any individual to attain. You can't do anything to get free from your sin and your guilt and your shame. You can't do it. It's impossible. Nothing you can do. And yet Jesus Christ, as Moses, led the captives free. But not only does he free you, he guides you. He doesn't cut you free and say, now you're on your own. Try to stay out of trouble. And again, it goes back to who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the question that I believe is the problem there is that it's an authority problem. I am free. I'm an American. I have my rights. Da, 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 da. And you look around and ask yourself today, how many Christians are under the authority of Jesus Christ? Grab that text that I keep sharing with you. First, or Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, all has been put under his feet. And he is the fullness in the church. If you want to see the fullness of Jesus Christ, it's where? It's in the church. But here's the key to that. Who's the head? You know what, brothers and sisters? When the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the true church is snatched up. Okay? It's removed from the face of the planet Earth. The churches are going to be full. Going to be full. 
And you know what? I guarantee it'll be just like the Sunday after 9-11. There'll be a whole bunch of new people there because something weird has happened. But you know what scares me to death? Dr. MacArthur has preached in his church now for 35 years. And his comment in that single church, and it's a big church, 16,000 members. He says, I'm afraid that when the church is snatched up, there's not going to be enough true ones left that anybody's even going to know we're gone. And you know how you know? Who's the authority of your life? Who's the authority of your life? That's what the Apostle Paul says. And I look around the church today, and I will say that even some in this body are useless to God. They're useless. God is not doing anything through them because of the things we've been looking at in 5 through 10. I mean, he says, I have freed you. I have guided you. You know what? Not only that, I only sustain you. Your sustenance. I wonder how many in this room today believe that your sustenance truly does come from God. Well, you know, I know he gives me my heartbeat. You know what? He gives you your paycheck. He gives you the bread, the butter, the water, whatever you eat. That's a precious gift from God. Do you know this text warning you don't crave evil things? Don't fall into idolatry? Do you know that he's telling you don't fall into immorality? Don't test the Lord? Don't murmur, complain against the Lord? That is his grace to you today? He's saying, by my grace, don't do these things. Why? Because I'll have to deal with it. And yet we'll sing, amazing grace, I got a new BMW. And that's what you and I are fighting against. I need a wife. I need a husband. I need a grandchild. I need a child. I need an education. I need a job. I need a promotion. I needed this. I needed that. He says, craving those evil things. That's looking back in the past. You know, I remember before I got saved, and it used to be so good because I could do this and this and this and this, and I don't feel that way now. What about idolatry? Anything that I say is, that is not God's attributes or God's character or God's work is an idol. How many are building the church today? How many of you believe that you're literally building your sanctification? Well, if I study this Bible and I study this text and if I know how to exegete this and homiletic that and helmet duty this and, and all the rest of this stuff, then I'll be what? You'll be bombastic. I'll let you look that up. I'm learning new words. And bombastic is one I learned. Let me tell you something about bombastic. It ain't good. Okay? You can fall into immorality. And all of these things will lead you to a place, as it did Israel, a place of uselessness. You're not being used of God. Ask yourself a question. Are you being used of God or are you using God? Because that's verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. 
nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Okay? Some of your texts may say, tempting God, trying God, try God. And it literally... Um, it's amazing. I want to take you over to it and we'll get a picture of it because he's using um, coming out of Egypt. So we can go to Numbers, uh, where am I at? 21? Yeah. Numbers 21. It's after Leviticus, before Deuteronomy. Numbers 21 is this text is dealt with. Okay? I want to show you what happened. Okay, now that's not been, they're not having a lot of fun. A million and a half people on a camping trip in the desert, eh. Okay, and they've had some things kind of go wrong, and, you know, they're eating manna and yin and crickets and all the rest of it. Look what happened. Verse 5. The people spoke against God and Moses. Please make a note of that. Did you know to bring an accusation against an elder without a witness? It's not a good thing. Did you know that? Why? It goes back a long ways. It goes back to chapter five or chapter twenty-one, where he says, "The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, there's no water, and we loathe this miserable food. What miserable food would that have been? The manna." The manna. God had freed them. God was guiding them. God was sustaining them. And what was their response? Yeah, God, what do you? This is a. What are you, take us back to Egypt. So God, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Yay. Do you know why? It says they spoke bad against God. They did Moses too. We don't have anything. I mean, camping was fun for the first year or so. But it's getting old. And it's still the desert. And we're wandering around out here. And I'm thinking that maybe you don't know where we're going. You know, men don't ask for direction. Moses asked for direction. But what's the difference between you wanting this or wanting that or wanting this or wanting that? I want this job. If I get this job, if I get this spouse, if I get this child, if I get this education, if I get this raise, if I get this bonus, if I get this or if I get this house, if I get this car, if I get this vacation, if I get this. God says, you know what? Verse 6 I'm going to send snakes among you because I believe that you have just pushed me too far. Push to see how far God would go. How much can you force God to do for you? Paul, in his text, in the Corinthian letter, some Christians are out there who want to push God to the limit. Now listen, some of us, Okay, some of us, we only push every once in a while. Come on, please, Papa, Abba. But some like to just push, don't we? 
But you got two different groups here. You've got some who just, all I'm doing is, come on, God, come on, God. You know, I was created in your image. Show it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, go. Some of us are a little more subtle than that because we think, boy, that just seems rude. So I'll just push every once in a while like at Christmas and Easter. You know, I can call him father now. And I remember how I used to treat my daddy. I know how my kids treat me at Christmas. So I'll just do it at Christmas and Easter. Come on, God, my kids is badgering the poo out of me and I need cash to buy them all this junk. When I see a letter like this that I received from Dr. MacArthur on who is Jesus, I understand that in Christendom today, there are those who have the view of the Christian life. It's not what I can do to please God, but how far can I go and get away with it? How far will God go to please me? I am his child. I am an heir. I mean, me and Jesus are bros. And you know what's amazing about that mentality? How far will God go to please me? It is a lack of gratitude. And a lack of gratitude in Second Thessalonians is proof of unbelief. The unsaved are ungrateful, Paul wrote the Thessalonian church. So do you see what happens there? They've married their prior life to their Christian life. And they just crossed the two instead of divorcing the one and adhering to the other. How long a rope does God have around me? You should know when you feel it getting tight around your neck that you perhaps are at the end of it. Okay, Acts chapter 5, verse 9. We, some of us, know that story. You have agreed to test the spirit of the Lord, husband and wife. Sold some property, okay? And if you really look at the whole context, you have to know chapter the end of chapter 4. Because somebody in the church had sold some property and the profit that they had made off of that property, he gave to the church. His name was Barnabas. And I imagine that there was a, wow, did you see what Barnabas did? But I also know that Ananias and Sapphira sold some property. And you know what's amazing about that? They didn't have to give any of it to the church. They don't have to. They are free in Christ. But they wanted to give some to the church because they are free in Christ. But here's the problem. They said, we gave it all to the church when they didn't. Okay, now is that really that big a deal? Has it? No, 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 no. Don't shake your head. Yes. Please don't shake your head. Yes. This may be the smallest church in existence if we shake our heads. Yes. 
Because how many of you have told God you're willing to do this and this and this and haven't? Because that's the same issue. And God dealt with Ananias and Sapphira. He didn't bring a snake in. He didn't bring in anything. What happened? They fell over dead. They fell over dead. I'm so glad he doesn't do that now. How far can you test him? Does anybody here want to find out what the limit of God's grace is? Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about saved people. Corinthians 11, there are people who are weak. There are people who are physically weakened. There are people who are physically sick. And there are people who have died. Because they were partaking of the sacrament, the sacredness of remembering the Lord's crucifixion for their sin in an unworthy manner. And God was literally making them physically ill. He was making some of them physically with illnesses and some of them were literally falling over dead. Jesus was tempted one time, tested, tried one time and told to dive off the pinnacle of the temple because if you are the son of God nothing can harm you what was Jesus' response do not try the Lord your God but you know what there's not a person in this room right now who's not guilty of testing him we've all done it ever laid out a fleece Have you? You know what a fleece is? Gideon? If you really want me to do this, make this, you know, some goat wet on the bottom top. And, and God, God says, I don't care what you ask. I'm going to make that fleece do it. I'll make that fleece get up and dance and talk to you. <laughs> I mean, you're not getting the point here, Gideon. And I've heard people who said, see, you got to do that. No, man, Gideon's faith was in the toilet bowl and God had to do something to get the boy's eyes off of what was going on and get his eyes on who he was serving. Okay, don't lay fleece out. What are you doing? You're testing the Lord your God. You don't have to test him. What's what I said in our prayer? Don't seek his hand, seek his face. If you know his face, then where he's looking, you know where to go. How many of us try him? How many of us test him? Well, God... If you want me to get this new car, then you need to okay the loan papers. Gosh, God must have wanted me to get this car because the loan went through. Really? I think it's your credit rating. Or they're wanting to sell you a car. Because I guarantee they'll sell you a car. It may cost you more than your house. But they'll sell you a car. I watch it all the time. We do it all over the place, brothers and sisters. You know, I need you to pray. I'm going in because I'm going to have some kind of thing happen here. And I just pray that God will have this work to, you know, and I can be healed. Is there anything wrong with you? No. Then why do you need to be healed? Well, it's a test. 
If you have a test, and I'll deal with this a lot in the next few weeks, what are you supposed to do with it? I need to get everybody to pray about it. I got to go in and have an x-ray. I got to go in and have an MRI or a KEKG or whatever them things is. You know, I've, I've got this test or Uncle Bob's got this test. I'm going in to have this thing done. And we, what do we want done with it? Why don't you pray about it? Okay, pray about it. You know what you're supposed to do with it? Anybody know? You're supposed to have a party. You're supposed to rejoice. Why? Because God has found me worthy to stretch my spiritual muscle. Big difference, isn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong. We pray for the test and they come out good. And what do we do? Good, good, good. Joy, joy, joy. What happens when they come out bad? I need to refocus my prayers. I wasn't quite badgering enough. Maybe God didn't hear it that day. You know, we do have that thing going on in Iraq at election. I bet there's a lot of people praying for that, and maybe he didn't hear that I was going to have this blood work. See what we did? How many of us look at what God's going to do for us or what we would do for God? And yet you look at the nation of Israel out in the wilderness and look at what God has done. You know their shoes never wore out? If you've got kids, do you know what a blessing that is? My kids' feet grow like inches a day. And shoes are like $900. I can get a set of snow radials studded and mounted for cheaper and get shoes for my kids. I'd give anything if... God, make our shoes not wear out. But then I thought about it and said, that means I need to be wandering around in the desert. And I'm not sure that I'm like, I'll go with buying the shoes. Okay? Listen, why? Here, let me just give you this. Don't get yourself into a situation and force God to get you out of it. Okay? That's pushing That's tempting. That is trying God. Here are the Corinthians. Think about this. They're over at the temple of Venus. You know, daggone, they got good barbecue. I know that meat offered to idols isn't nothing. And you know, I know that the priestess is there. They're all harlots and they're selling and you can have this spiritual endeavor with them for so much money and all the rest of it. But what happens, you know, if I'm over there, maybe I can get some of them priestesses saved and have some good barbecue to boot. I'm just ministering the gospel. I know they're having orgies all over the place, but I just go over and talk theology. That's testing the Lord, isn't it? Don't you think? So it's real easy for me to look at chapter 11 and say, sick, weak, and dying? Duh. What would you expect? There were many who were becoming useless. And the Corinthians would say, how's come we can't have any fun? You know what I look at it today? How close to the old lifestyle can I get without getting burned? Huh? How 
close to the materialistic, capitalistic, I'm in it for me, can I live without falling? Think about Dr. Zodiades a number of years ago when we spent some time with him, me and my wife, and he made this statement, never in his life has he seen the church so haughty. And I look around at the church today and guess what? She's not repentant. Demanding what they once enjoyed. They're not willing to cut off the old life and hang on tight to the new life. How about you? How about you? See, Israel didn't do it. They couldn't separate the old and the new. And they were lost in the wilderness. Guess what happened to the Corinthians? How about us? How about you? Are you just trying to bring the two together? And you know, I'm looking at the gray areas. The Bible doesn't say yay or nay. And you know what? But if I make six figures, I can give God three. Can I do what I used to do and just know that I'm in the age of grace and God to take care of it? Have you ever heard that statement? You have the old covenant and you have the new covenant. The old covenant was the covenant of the law, right? And the new covenant is the age of grace. Huh? You guys know what I'm talking about? You know what I say about that? And I've studied that. I've researched that. And I know some great phenomenal men have wrote and used it that direction. You know what I say about that? I think it's blasphemous. Okay? You know why I say that? Did he save Caleb and Joshua? Is that grace? Did he write it down and give it to you and me? Is that grace? He bring them out of Egypt. Is that grace? In the book of Judges, he would bring them into a place and bless their proverbial socks off. They would turn their backs on them. He would get their attention again through something awful and didn't obliterate them. Is that not the age of grace? So how can I say that the Old Testament, well, he just wasn't very nice. And we are in the dispensation of grace. I say 66 books of the Bible is amazing grace. If he tolerates any human being the instant after they've committed a sin against him, is it grace? Is it grace? You know, but you need to understand something, Terry. God is love. You know, we've heard it. How much did Jesus love me? He stretched out his arms and he died for me. Right? God is so wonderfully forgiving. And that's Paul's point. Remember Israel? When they just pushed God as far as he would go. Have you ever read the book of Judges? There's a statement in there that keeps coming up. 
They did what was right in their own eyes. You know what that is? I'm going to marry the old with the new. And it is right. Why? Well, I was created in the image of God. I have these desires because God made these desires. What did you just do? You pushed God too far. We looked at these snakes in Numbers 21. We looked at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. But you know there's one that is out there. That is John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. And it says that if you see a brother in sin, you are to pray for them. Right? Got to get them out of it. All right? Except the one who is in the sin that brings death. Those you do not pray for. What? Yeah, you don't pray for them. Do you know what that sin is? I don't. Anybody here want to go find it? If you would go find it for us, then we would know and we would be grateful to you. Well, I would be grateful to you. But let me tell you something that happens to you when you allow your freedom to master you. Okay? It will lead to sin. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And you know what happens instantaneously? That you can't see and it takes a lot of discernment from a saint to see. You know what happens? A death takes place. It's the same death that took place in the garden. Something that people don't understand. If you eat of this fruit, what would happen? You will surely die. Right? You eat of that fruit, guaranteed you're going to die. And a lot of people say, you know, they got kicked out of the garden and he, what was he, 600 years old, and he died. Huh? As soon as Adam ate of the fruit, what happened? He died. Instantaneously, he died. Do you know that? You know why I can say that? He thought he could hide from God. That's a spiritual death. He thought he could hide. Listen, Adam ain't no dummy. He knew that every afternoon, in the cool of the afternoon, what happened? Poof! There's God. And they fellowship together. And all of a sudden, I eat of this fruit and I think I can hide. When you sin against the holy God, you know what you do? You think you can hide. It won't be seen. He didn't catch me. And you know what instantly happens? The communion of the saints that you once enjoyed whoo, is severed. Now, it's not irreparable, but it's severed. If you think you can walk into sin 
and just wake up and say, well, I'm under the dispensation of grace and there ain't nothing going to happen. You don't know my God because he says, I will have people get physically ill. I will make people weak. And if I have to, I'll kill them. That's when I read that letter on who's Jesus. And how many in this room have made him elastic and he fits what I need? How many go as far as they can? How far is it? When does his grace give out? Does anybody know? What is that borderline that is out there that his grace stops? Does anybody know? You know what? He gives us grace. And it is sufficient. And you know what? There's days I thank God more for it than other days. But when I study a text like this, I am convicted that I don't thank him enough for his mercy on me. On me. And I'm glad, if you believe that we are in an age of grace, I'm glad that we're in it. And I'm glad that he hung on a cross. Because in Israel, he brought snakes upon the people and they died. And he did that just because they wanted to push their freedom beyond its boundaries. But I want to pick up another one because this one here will freak you out. Verse 10, nor grumble. He says, don't let your freedom be a place that you begin complaining. Listen, these two run right side by side, testing the Lord your God, trying Him, seeing how far, what, you know, what will God put up with? And grumbling. Some of your texts may say murmuring. Okay, as some of them did, and it says they were destroyed by the destroyer. What the heck is a destroyer? Piece of cake. I can tell you what the destroyer is. Chapter 22 of the book of Numbers. No, no, you don't have to turn there. An old boy had kind of told God that I'm going to lead your people astray. He was a prophet. And I believe he was a man of God at one point. He was a prophet. And he says, I can't bring a curse on the nation of Israel, but I'll lead them into sexual immorality. Okay, why? The Moabites and good-looking ladies. And I know that the Jews are easily swayed by good-looking ladies. And so that's what he was into. He was leading them. So one day he was off on his little business and God had warned him about this. He jumps on his donkeys, tells God, take a walk. Don't you worry about it, Lord. It ain't that big a deal. And I'm making good cash out of this. So he gets on his donkey and his donkey's cruising him along, taking him to the point that he needs to be. And his donkey sees something that the rider don't see. You know what it is? He sees an angel. And to see an angel and being a donkey is not that big a deal. But this angel does something that's a little bit different than your normal everyday angel. You know what he does? He draws a sword. Now let me tell you something. If you see an angel and he's got a sword, go the other way. 
Okay? Don't think about it. Don't debate the angel. Don't ask yourself, is this a good idea? If an angel is standing with a sword, you know what the donkey did? It went the other way, and it, he began, Balaam began smacking the donkey with the stick, and the donkey says, Lord, I need to talk now because this idiot ain't got it. That was a paraphrase. It was a prayer of the donkey before he could speak. The donkey had the ability to speak and says, Listen, dude, haven't I taken care of you? What you hitting me for with a stick? Okay? You know what a destroyer is? It's an angel with a sword. Remember the last plague that came upon Egypt? Does anybody remember? You know what they did? You know what happened? Firstborn of what? Everything. Your firstborn cow, your firstborn calf, your firstborn chicken, your firstborn pigeon, uh, your firstborn goat, sheep, child were killed. Do you know how? With an angel with a sword. With an angel with a sword. Okay? Uh, you see it in Numbers 22, the donkey. You see it in 2 Samuel 24, verses 15 through 17. The angel of the Lord with his sword in hand was ready to attack Jerusalem. Because of the sins of David. He had already killed 14,000 and he was getting ready to go into town. And David broke before God and said, It is my sin. Do not hold it on the congregation of Israel. It is my sin. And the Lord said to the angel, Hold your hand. On Jerusalem. You see it again in Second Chronicles 32. The Assyrians came down and were ready to overthrow Hezekiah. And the angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrians one night. You know, I love that text. That's a phenomenal text. It says the Assyrians woke up and 185,000 of them didn't. Okay, and it says they all went back home. <laughs> Now then, that sounds awful, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Let me ask you a question. Did you know that God killed people with a death angel for griping? For complaining? Oh, but Terry, we're in the age of grace. God is love. Corinthians, I like that restrictive life. I want to be able to do, you know, what I need to do, what I want to do. You know, we have privileges. We have rights. We're Americans. I don't want to have to clean the church. I don't want to do that thing. I don't want to work in the nursery. It's a failure to be satisfied with God's will for your life. That's what it is. I'm not satisfied. <clears throat> you know what Scripture is saying? Don't do that. Why? As an example, 
a tope, a pattern, a thing to take note of, a thing to learn from. Let me paraphrase it in Terry's vernacular. There's a bunch of carcasses all over the desert for people who did that. They weren't satisfied with what God was using them for. People who weren't satisfied with God's choices for them. Did you know that God has you where he wants you? Look around. Look around right now and ask yourself this question. In this body of people, who's being used? Who is out doing kingdom work? Who is pressing forth the proclamation of Jesus Christ? Who is walking in a manner worthy of their calling? Who is God entrusting souls to for strengthening? Who in this fellowship is God right now drawing lost people to? And do you know that you are here for this place, for this time? The book of Esther was written to get your attention on that. That is Israel. Do you not know us for such a time as this? He had them there. I want them there. It is God's purpose that they are there. Do you know that? Do you know that where you're at is God's purpose? Or are you complaining? I want a bigger church. I want a smaller church. No, there ain't no such thing as smaller. I want a, a louder church. I want a, you know, a more active church. I want a music church. I want contemporary music. I want contemporary worship. I want this. Why don't we have this Bible study? Why don't we have that kind of Bible study? We're not doing this for the singles. We're not doing this for the married. We need the young married, the old married, the in-between married. The in-between married. Nobody got that? Okay, I'll let some of you. What? What? <laughs> Do you know what? How many in this room right now are absolutely content with what God's doing in their life? Because I'll give you a text. You can go look it up later. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. I have learned one thing. In whatever state I am, I am content. Whether with much or with little. I think out of this list, the greatest one that we are guilty of is this one. Complaining, griping. Christians today are guilty of this. And you know what? You need to be warned that there's a danger to this because you can literally be useless. Why does God do this? Why does God do that? Why do we have to be here? Why do I have to marry her? Why do I have to marry him? Why did I marry Why do I have this job? Why do I have this child? Why am I not getting ahead? And let me tell you something. If you start complaining, there's a problem. You know what? I kind of give Israel credit on this one. They guarded themselves on that. Uh, In the 16th chapter of Numbers, they had a little problem with this. Uh, Korah, son of Azar, son of Kothen, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elab, the sons of Peth, and the sons of Reuben, took action. I like this. Why? They didn't think Moses was getting it done, so they took action. They rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly of men of renown. They could... 
250 of the best that they had, and they went to Moses. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far enough. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves over the assembly of the Lord? Moses heard this, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all of his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his, and who is holy, and he will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this, Moses says. Take censers for yourself. That's incense burners. Take censers for yourself, Korath, and all your company. Put fire in them, the incense, and lay the incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You've gone far enough, you sons of Levi. You know what Moses said? God has me here for such a time as this. And you're not listening. So... You think you've got it figured out. Tomorrow morning, we all stand before God and we watch what God does. And God will choose those that are His, who are, use His term, holy. Those who are set apart. Those who are a testimony of what God is doing. Those who are useful. Now listen, the group that's raised up against him is from the tribe of who? Levi. Who's that? The priest. These are not biblically stupid people. These are the ones who go on behalf of the people before God. These are the ones that you fall in love with. These are the ones I love my priest because he goes before God. And I know when I call him at 2 o'clock in the morning, he prays for me and all that other stuff. Okay? Do you know what God's response was? I do. The next day, the next morning, God told Moses, I will obliterate the congregation. And Moses said, Ooh, that's not exactly what I was looking for. He says, I would have you take those who are divisive, those who are useless. And you know what happened? Sheol opened. Do you know what Sheol is? The ground opened wide open and 250 of Korah and their best buddies disappeared. The ground closed shut. And he says, that's my part. You who are of the Levites who want to be with Aaron and Moses, you take your swords and 14,000 more were killed. Do you know why? Do you know why? They were complaining. They were complaining. I got to give Israel credit. For the most part, after that event, they kind of stayed away from that. That complaining, that murmuring. There's times they had to be taught. But the text is telling you and I don't complain. Corinth, be warned. Complaining is a lack of self-denial. Complaining is a lack of self-control. How many in this room this day are craving the past? I want my privileges. I had these things that I got to used to do. How many are seeking idolatry? How many are seeking immorality? How many are pushing God? 
How many are complaining? How many are useless in the service of the Most High God this day? If you continually fool around with the things that are questionable, the gray areas, the Bible doesn't speak about, it reveals a lack of self-control. And it has the potential of disqualification. Flirt with the old lifestyle. Test God to see how far his patience goes. Test him. Go ahead. When you fall over dead, we'll know how far that is. Complain about his choices for your life. It's nothing more than rebellion. And you know what? That's very dangerous. That's the warnings of 5 through 10. So I'm going to ask this. Where are you? Where are you? Are you useful to God? Are you being used by God? Because it goes back to the letter that I started this thing with. Who is Jesus? You know my answer. He's God. Whether I read Numbers or Corinthians, these are non-negotiables. He's not asking you for your opinion on this. He's not asking you for your willingness on this. He is saying, thus saith the Lord. You have freedom like no other creature on planet earth has ever known. Don't abuse your freedom. Father, I give you the praise for this time. I give you the praise for this wonderful text. And I th- Lord, I thank you for Israel. Father, I, th- I never realized that the Old Testament and all of that was for me. It is a warning to me. It is to help me. And I thank you for that, Lord, that you've shown me that. Lord, and I pr- Lord, I pray that these people, that these people will embrace this, these people will grab this, and these fe- people will enjoy this. Father, the freedom that you have given us is literally out of this world. Father, let us never take it for granted. Father, let us fight for it when it is your time, your necessity. Father, let us not complain about where you have us and what you have us doing. Father, let us not fall into idolatry. Let us not crave evil. Let us flee immorality. Father, let us never try you. Father, may our love for you only mirror your love for us. In Christ's name, amen.